Hey folks, it's Blamo. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. If I sound weird, I think it's probably because I feel it. Oof. I just I just got back from uh, from New York, literally, <laughs> literally like a few hours ago. Um, always trying to keep these intros fresh, you know. So uh, so here we go. But dare I say this? I think I got a good thing going right now because I can go to New York and I can be an idiot trying to find a bathroom after I bought an overpriced cheeseburger, you know, stepping over bags of trash in the street, do a bunch of work, record, and then make it back for my daughter to tell me how much she missed me, only to uh, snap on me later because uh, I wouldn't let her eat dinner while she was watching TV. You know, all, all, in, a, all in a day's work here. Um, you always stay humble when your day starts in New York and ends in St. Louis. There's a ton to unpack from that trip. Jeez, stories galore. I promise I'll go over it more on the Triple J show soon. I got I got to head back even sooner, which is great. It's awful, but you know, it's great at the same time. And I'm very blessed to get to do this for a living. Speaking of blessed, and we're and we're talking DJ Khaled hashtag blessed here. Side note, I do believe one day that we'll find out DJ Khaled is the 21st century Andy Kaufman. But that's that's a whole other story. I've, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Pat Towersy, the man behind Western Hydrodynamic Research, a brand that encompasses everything to those who wear it, and those who don't are like, what on earth is this? Why is your logo so simple? Is it an organic farm? A weed company? It's not, obviously. It's none of those things. But we get into it. Pat and I discuss the origins of the brand, his life growing up surfing, being sponsored at age 12. Uh, yes, that I said 12. The golden era of skate and surf culture, being the guy who does things, and how the artist Tom Sachs helped him get WHR off the ground. Here we go. How you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, just uh, I'm down here in Newport Beach on the peninsula, so I'm kind of like right across the street from the beach, kind of. So weather's been nice, and but starting to kind of become more fall, which is good. It was so hot for like, I mean, we had like weeks and weeks of just nonstop 90 to 100 degree weather. It was like, oh man, please let go. Let let up a little bit. So it's yeah. really nice to have it be in this. It's like in the 80. It's like 80 during the day and then it falls below 70 at night. So it's good. Are you in Elmaro Beach? Um, No, just down like on the peninsula. You, you know the wedge? You heard of that wave? The wedge, the surf break, the big like kind of world famous break or I don't know. Is that like Dana Point? I'm sorry. Well, I used to be I used to be in Dana Point. Okay. And then I moved back north where I kind of grew up in Newport Beach, which is um just south of Huntington Beach and in between mm-hmm. La- Laguna, just north of Laguna basically, like the next town. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um sick, man. That's that's a great area. Jeez. Yeah, it's nice. Where where are you? You're you're in the Midwest now, you said? Yeah, I'm in the Midwest. It's not cool. Uh <laughs> you at least live in places where you like you talk about, you know, your what's outside your door and people just like get excited and wonder and like think about all these fond memories and aspirational life by the sea. And it's like, uh, yeah, my, I got a Starbucks and a Target about five minutes away from me. So um, yeah, I, I'm not cool anymore. I used to live in New York for, I don't know, 16 years about, and we had like a COVID move, like a lot of people. Um, and then we just had our second kid and it was Congrats. easier to kind of, thanks. Yeah. It was easier to be back here with family in proximity and my dad's health isn't great and all this stuff. And we're like, well, let's kind of see this through. And then I'm just on a plane every couple months. So, um, 
it's it could be worse. You know, it's nice to have an office. You know, that I have like shit behind me and stuff versus um, you know, being on top of someone else. But yeah, um, yeah, well, family is key, man. I mean, I think you know, we have two kids, so I have a three year old daughter and a five year old son, mm-hmm. and we're pretty lucky because my wife's family is close by, and then my mom is kind of back and forth, like from where she lives, to come kind of help us, and so we we get. We get it pretty good for sure. And I couldn't imagine trying to do it without them. I'd be right struggling. Dude, having, yeah, that's the tough part. Cause I feel like, you know, at least for myself, like I'm at this age where I really love being a parent. Like it's, it's the greatest thing ever. It's so cool. You know, my, my daughter's getting into music and she loves the Beatles and I just showed her queen and like, she's losing her shit and she's only like, you know, almost five years old. And, you know, you have that, but also at the same time, there's still like a, you know, a part of me where it's like, I'm not done yet with my own life. And so it's like, I, I'm, I'm at this, you know, uh, almost like friction of hedonism pursuit of a career versus like maybe stepping back and trying to elevate my children more, you know, uh, not that they're, not that they're mutually exclusive, but it's, it's, it's a balance. I feel you, man. I'm in the same kind of predicament here. I mean, I love more than anything just to hang out with my kids, you know, and it's like, I've been working from home from, you know, starting in like 2020. So it's been amazing yeah. because I spend so much time with my kids. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm so stressed. I got so much I got to do. Like, I feel like I'm not giving enough to like work to where, you know, you just start to deal with like, okay, yeah, when, when it was the give and take and the right balance is, is hard to find at some degree. So yeah, yeah, we'll see if we can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is your work at the moment? Because I, I, you know, like you, your background is insane from, from being like a sponsored, you know, athlete at 12. What is it? You, you, yeah. you rode for Volcom at 12? Yeah, it's funny. I grew up, you know, in the same town where Volcom was founded in, in like Costa Mesa and, and Newport yeah. Beach. And so, um, yeah, I was like, I started surfing at seven, eight. And then <laughs> you know, my, I, I was almost in a way, I guess, not like latchkey, but yeah, latchkey. Like I think our generation, like your parents were like, okay, you just, you can go and do whatever you want. And then they yeah, kind yeah. of had their thing they did. They did more like traditional sport country club life. And so I kind of found my way to the beach and that was just where I, I fell in love with surfing and riding waves. And then fast forward a, you know, a handful of years, I used to ride my bike every morning to the beach before school, even in elementary school. And so I just started falling into this crowd of older guys and you know, people in the water and they, you know, they kind of picked me up. Hey man, like you're a cool kid. I was kind of like a real punky kid though too. So I was like always like trying to hang out. That's with the your, older, your older... name, the punker Pat name. Yeah. Yeah. So I was always trying to hang out with the older crowd and um, yeah, like they sort of brought me under their wing and that was, and when I was 12, they, I got sponsored by Volcom and it was kind of maybe like a year after it had started and really fun to, to be a part of that. And, and then, you know, for 13 years, just kind of traveled and, and, live that lifestyle which is pretty cool what's the lifestyle the, the surfer lifestyle yeah. thing yeah like the surfer lifestyle i mean you, you go to these different places um you know you travel to hawaii every winter and then there's like you go to france in the summer where there's events and then you go to Wait, like, hold on, hold on. Why, why france what's what's in france well france sort of um you know the Euro- european market's big for brands and so France is sort of the epicenter for surf over there and particularly like south of France and Hossager Biarritz area. So it's like the pilgrimage to go support the brand in that territory. You go to that area and it's amazing. I mean, it's one of the coolest places ever. Um, 
So we would do that. And, and, you know, you get to go to France and you're like 16, 17 years old and you can drink and like do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so it got pretty wild. Yeah. That's crazy. Were you skating or anything else too? Cause I feel like people that surf also just kind of the default is, yeah, you skate too. I, yeah, yeah I skated. I mean, I was kind of a skater before I really became a full surfer, I guess. Like we right. would go to, it was cool for me because during that time it was pre skate park boom. So in okay. Costa Mesa where all these brands were, there were skate ramps. So like every brand from Quicksilver to, um, you know, obviously Volcom, there's like Fester, Acme skateboards. There were tons of these different places that had skate park built into their facilities. And so sort right. of for them, a marketing opportunity, as well as just a critical need for the community to have a place to skate. And, and so we just, when I was a kid, I'd be bopping around like to all these different companies to skate their ramps and ask for free stickers and sort of <laughs> just as you know in that whole that whole mix which was cool and it's just a bike ride away for me like you just have your cruiser bike and you put your skateboard on the top and you got your backpack on and you just kind of ride through the Costa Mesa and then sometimes like we're trying to work man you got to beat it so you're getting kicked <laughs> out of a place because you know you gotta you know they gotta do work but you just want to skate and then you go find another place and they'll let you skate at that time so and were, were you also I mean so like what's the, what's the life of a sponsored person like at that age because you also I mean you were sponsored well I guess still kind of are in a lot of ways for a really long time yeah yeah, it's it's changed a lot over the course of time. But I mean, during the 90s, early 2000s, I mean, you just sort of you put a sticker on your board, you wear the clothes, you hung out with that particular group of people because it's kind of a it's a real community too. beyond just like a sponsored thing. You would be spending all this time with these people. And right. um, and so that was yeah, that was it. And then there was no there was no like social media and all those things so there was all through print magazines so they would use you in advertisement and you'd go down and visit the magazines and say hi and do all that stuff and it was yeah it was cool it was a really fun i think golden era maybe for surf and, and skate and, and those communities and snowboarding too was sort of taking off in that early 90s time um so yeah how much of video games have to do with this because i feel like when you say like the golden era i mean i kind of grew up around you know, that in the Midwest when it had like trickled in and, you know, I was paying $30 for 411, you know, video magazine and, you know, reading Thrasher and trying to make my own skate videos with like, you know, DV cams and crap like that. But like, then came video games. And then everyone, I don't know, like, I, I just my knees got so bad and crappy that I just was like, F it, I'm just going to be Andrew Reynolds in a video game. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, that was, I mean, or, I mean, early 90s is sort of pre Tony Hawk video game yeah. and all that stuff. And, and yeah, I think the video game era brought a lot more attention. X Games brought way more attention. And so oh, the, yeah, shit. <laughs> the industry it became more of a, it became much, I mean, I think maybe a, as a young person, you didn't really look at it like it was a business or an industry or anything like that. It was just a community of people you and you just love the thing you did. Um, mm -hmm. And so I guess as it became more of this big industry thing, I mean, these brands became billion dollar businesses. And so that was it. And that was also in part of that movement of the X Games and those video games and all that, all those different pieces of the puzzle. But before that, I think it was that golden era because it was really this just just a magazine and people there use their imagination to sort of create what that world really looked like or they went to an event and they'd have these really cool um you know whether it's a surf contest but i mean i really like going to the like skate events not even like a skate contest it would be like a skate like th throwdown and so um a buddy a guy that i know uh, like i just saw the other day the fucking awesome was doing this event up in hollywood 
And it reminded me of back in the day, like on, on there's a skate shop on 17th where we live. And I mean, t- um, Tom Penny and a b- bunch of riders came out to skate this event and we all went and watched. It was just like insane. Your mind was blown off watching these guys skate. And it was, that was the only way really to see it. I mean, there was at that time, I don't think very few skate contests happening in that early nineties time. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, and then you'd, Again, the the sports too with with skateboarding, surfing, snowboarding. I mean, you're able to be in the water, be at a skate on a skate ramp, or be at a park with the best guys in the world. Right? Where another sport that would never happen. You would never be on the field playing baseball as an equal with you know one of the, one of the best baseball players like Mike Trout or something like that. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, why is that? Like it because it is a competitive field, but at the same time, you're right. Like if if you're entering that, in most cases, you're not looked on as a threat or as competition. It's more of like I don't I don't know. What, well, yeah. What, what why do you think that is? I mean, there's just this mutual respect with everyone who's a part of the community or who loves to do that activity right so whether that's surfing you're in the water with all these guys who are better than you and you're a kid especially when you're a kid you just look up to all these guys and Mm -hmm. it's um it's really cool just to share the water with them and and then as a young person they they're rooting for you they're just stoked that you're in the water hey man yeah cool grom yeah going this wave pushing the waves like it was just (laughs) and and same thing i just remember being i'm i remember being so i was sponsored by black flies in the early 90s as well and I actually worked there in the summers i'd fold, fold t-shirts and i'd put little things on glasses and so that that was a really crazy time for that brand because i mean you'd have sublime come in there and then you'd have um christian asoy <laughs> i remember skateboarding with christian asoy in the early 90s before he okay. you know had his troubles but like it was just like oh my god this guy's like just coming through his shirts hanging off his his pants like he just the whole christian asoy thing was like happening in front of me and i was just going holy shit i was on the ramp skating so he's blasting these huge airs i put my board down i'm like just tapping the coping <laughs> <laughs> but but it's cool because even then, though, he was like, yeah, man, right on. You're killing it. Like just encouraging and 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 super cool. So that's, I guess, the the sentiment in the community when you're a part of it and you're you're trying to participate and get better. Yeah. I mean, and you mentioned Black Flies like that. That's also a super specific era where I think because they they were making sunglasses, too. Right. Wasn't that oh, like no, that was what it, they yeah. were? Yeah. I mean, they they were the sunglass brand. I mean, like just, just huge. There was nobody bigger. It was like, you got to have black flies. You got to have, you know, whatever board you're in your workshop board or whatever it was at that time. But like, that was, that was it. Yeah. I mean, they had these, they had like the micro fly and it was like, and it's funny because now it's it's what's happening now in fashion with like, eyewear in a lot of ways with the kids who are more on like the cutting edge who really want to have that 90s style. But there's a, there was a frame called the the micro fly and it was just this barely covered your eyeball little thing. And it was just like, so so funny and then they had the number five which is another really good frame that was like bigger and chunkier that was kind of based off of like what easy e or somebody would wear like during that time so um but they i mean they had it was crazy because they had everybody from the like real actually like gangsters coming through there to like (laughs) tattoo artists to the top best surfers to the skaters to I mean, they really had ran the gamut on everybody who would come into that place. And it was just crushing it. It was, but things got a little crazy with, with black flies because it turned into a little bit more of like a way too edgy kind of like, Oh, okay. Porn, My like, knowledge is zero. <laughs> like it turned into like more porn driven, but I mean, it's still a lot. Oh, of nice. Stuff, All right. That makes sense. <laughs> but a lot of the stuff they were doing was 
it was cutting edge though. I mean, they had an advertisement in um, a surf magazine they placed and they had a guy who had like fishing hooks, like in his mouth and in his nose and it was pulling on like all directions. It was just like, hmm. holy crap, this is insane. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that was because and, and then you made your way over to Hurley around that time, too, because like you, you were basically have been a part of every massive brand uh, in terms of in terms of like a skate brand that also leapt out of that, you know, athleticism world and into more like fashion, right? Like Black Flies, sure, that was a fashion brand too. Uh, Volcom, fashion brand. You know, Hurley also became a fashion brand. Like how how did how did that the Hurley thing happen? So I from Volcom, I like spent this like year and a half. I I was um it was like a interesting time in my life. I was kind of going through some stuff and I like had to retool my life and take a break from I started I started partying too hard and kind of hit the wall just in in life in my early it was like when i was 2021 20, mm. and then a little bit after that i was like came back i was on, on my comeback trail and, and i was sponsored by billabong and they picked me up and i had a really good contract and i was traveling and doing it but i just you know, at that point i was kind of growing out of wanting to be a professional like surfer because at the time too i was kind of done with competition i didn't want to compete and being a, it was the thing would be to be a free surfer and be a photo guy, photo video guy, which is cool, but there was just a lot of downtime. And at the end of the day, there was a lot of like just trying to get the shot. It was just like, come on, like throw your fins in the air, like do the, go do a big jump. And I was just, I started feeling like I, like a kook. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore, man. This is this isn't satisfying. So yeah, I mean, I should have milked it for longer and like just had a side hustle going. But like, I uh, I ended up getting a job with, with Ruka. So Ruka was taking off the time and I was friends with those, the guys who started it. And so they kind of approached me to come work there. So I went and worked at Ruka for three years and that was an incredible experience. They would like have, they had like an amazing roster of artists and musicians and surfers and skaters and, you know, you name it, like all, um, a huge, I mean, MMA fighters. And it was a really cool experience there. And Pat Tenori kind of helped mentor me and took care of me. And then at the end of that kind of three-year process, three-year, you know, stint there, they were sold to uh, another company that they were bought by Billabong. And so I was like, oh man, like I've kind of worked with these guys a little bit. I didn't feel like it was a fit for me. So kind of like during that time, Bob Hurley, who started Hurley was, uh, had approached me and said, hey, come work for Hurley. And I, I said, oh no, you know, I really liked what I was doing at at Ruka. And then he asked me again, and I was kind of like, all right, let's check it out. Let's see what's up. You know, like, you know, Nike owned, owned Hurley and it was, uh, you know, it was a yeah. big, big company, but they were doing some pretty cool things. And, um, and so I kind of went and checked it out and it was a good fit for me at the time. So I transitioned to work there and define work there. Like what, what, what were you doing? <laughs> I mean, like I was always good. I mean, it's funny because I mean, I always sort of ended up making my own positions in places, you know, I kind of like would swim upstream and like, I think, I think on most, for the most part, like I was, you couldn't fire me maybe but like i okay. was definitely always flirting with the edge of like like what is this guy doing like is he doing anything <laughs> but like i was doing things <laughs> because i mean maybe i was hired to do certain things but then i would just kind of fall into like i like to create culture and community and bring interesting people and that's kind of what i had always learned through my time in the industry or, or in life and so i just i was hired there to do um like more retail marketing and and i fell into this position i was like oh my god it was like it was terrible i hated it i was just like like i had my boss my boss was just my boss didn't like me and like would just throw all this crap on my plate and it was oh that's a great so, dynamic yeah um, it was like so <laughs> tough and like i mean i love so many people there but just like boss was not nice like not nice <laughs> And so I, I sort of like just did what I, what I do. And I just started like, all right, I'm, I'm going to like, did you quiet quit? Did you pre quiet quit? Yeah. 
<laughs> sort of, yeah, sort of pretty quiet. Quick. But no, but I knew like, I knew I liked the people there and I wanted to be there. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to like just start doing my own thing, start making my own job. So I just started bringing people in, trying to get more like friends, like community people to be involved in the brand that I could end up just kind of like working on that. And so at a certain point, my boss is just like, okay, I can't deal with you anymore. Like, I'm so sick of you. And then kick me over to someone else who was a good friend of mine who's Pat O'Connell, who is an ex-professional surfer, like star of Endless Summer 2. Like he's a good friend of mine. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's like, hey, come work. <laughs> at, he's like, come work at sports marketing. Well, you can come here and then like, you can just do whatever you want and you can sponsor people and, you know, work with, you know, work on collaborations and things like that. So I kind of just was able to jump ship to that area in the business, which is like way more fun because then you have a budget and you get to do all these cool things. So I jumped into that and had a- Yeah, you're good news for every person you interact with, right? Because yeah. you you basically come and you're like, hey, let's let's uh, find a way to like get you paid and do fun events. And yeah, like, I mean, because everyone that I talked to about you pre this conversation was like, oh, he brought me in. Like the, the key word was brought me in. And yeah. like, whether it was like, oh yeah, he brought me into this or he told me about this. And, you know, so like you were kind of this ambassador, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was, I mean, like I had a budget. I was able to bring cool people on board and do collaborations and all sorts of things. I had a ton of like, just like whatever um, runway to sort of create my own world. So I had an incredible time doing that. It was super fun. And we were able to do some great projects and there was ROI for the brand. So I wasn't getting fired. I was, you know. Oh, there's was, the marketing term, the ROI. There the we go. R- the ROI was happening. So I was able to maintain my, my salary and stay employed. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a fun run. So basically we, we were owned by Nike, which was awesome. Great parent company and killer benefits and all those things you want to, um, to help, you know, support your lifestyle, your family. I, you know, I got married, I had kids fast forward. Then Nike sold Hurley, um, at the end of 2019. Yeah. And I mean, it was, I kind of caught onto it early on and I was going, shit, what am I going to do, man? Like, and at the time, you know, I had worked with, I had worked with Tom Sachs. I became friends with Tom through another friend and I was like trying to get Tom to do something with us. And so we ended up finally doing something together in 2018. We made a project called how to learn how to surf and we traveled to Bali and we had this like incredible time, like just epic. We, I somehow pulled this off. Like we got like a budget, like, we, what? We, yeah, we made this, <laughs> we made a film called how to learn how to surf. And it was really good. Oh, Oh, yeah, it's great. And so then like my whole thing was, okay, I got that done in 2018. Then I'm like, and then I said, Hey, we need to tour this film in, 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 uh, 2019. So we toured it and we took it to, um, we took it to Japan. We took it to Europe. We went to New York, Austin, Texas, LA. Um, I don't know where else. I don't think we went anywhere else, but, but we, we had a great time touring it. And so when we, and then we were like making another film when we were in Japan, we started making another movie actually. And that was like my next plan. I'm like, all right, cool. We're making another movie. So we're going to keep this party going. Um, and Tom though, at the time had seen that I'd been messing around with kind of my own like side hustle, little business that I, you know, was, was not really business, just a project that I was passionate about was, was which was WHR and Western Hydrodynamic Research, and so he was like, "You need to do your own brand. Like, you should just do it. Like, do it." And I'm like, "I got a, I got kids, and I got what? I got life things. I can't afford to do that. That sounds crazy." I've heard that conversation before. Yeah, yeah. Go on. <laughs> so I'm like, "No, there's no way I'm doing that." And uh, and then fast forward, you know, we're, the business is being sold, and you know, I'm like, I know I'm on the chopping block. I'm like, I'm done, dude. So I, I was already trying to get jobs at other places and. And figure it out and again like tom's like hey dude come on like just do your own thing like i'll, I'll help support you from behind the scenes and and just you know advise you and and all that that's and a like, huge cosign yeah yeah huge huge i mean like i mean i love tom and we're great friends and i'm st- 
a huge fan of what he does, you know, obviously. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, that was a confidence booster, but I'm still, still, I'm like a scared, like, oh man, like, I don't know if I can do it. And the way he didn't, and he, also the caveat to that is like, Tom's like, I know you're kind of a fuck up, but I think you could maybe pull it off. <laughs> so, so I'm like, uh, good talk, dad. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So it's like, okay, shit, I got to prove it. I got to prove that I can do this. Um, right. And no one else is, no one else is hiring me. I'm not, so I'm like, okay, shit. And then, and then really I was let go like in February of 2020 was when the official like oh, came falling down. Great time. Yeah. Nothing was happening around then. Yeah. Minor. No, no big deal. There was like some news headlines that I was not paying attention to because I'm always, I'm always like the glasses half full. It's going to be cool, man. No, it's all good. Like some time. It's cool. fine. It's Whatever. a cough. Yeah. Come on, dude. No big deal. And, uh, and so I got let go in the February 2020. And, and so Tom was like right away. I'm, Tom's like, Hey, we've, I've got a big show at Isitan in Japan and like, I'll build you a section for your brand. Like, you know, we'll put a window up. Like I've got, he had like 10 or 15 windows at Isitan. It was crazy. And then he had a huge, like a whole floor with all of his stuff. And he built me this like 10 by 10 space. And it was amazing. Um, So that was all in the works, like starting in that, like, you know, February, February, really, like maybe even just a little bit before that. Um, right, right. March, like the hammer comes down, COVID. I'm like, oh man, is this even going to happen now? Like, holy crap. I'm yeah. like working on like production, trying to figure everything out. Isitan, you know, the coolest people there. I mean, there's uh, Ken and Aya are these great people. And I had actually met them with Tom before too. So we had a relationship and they were just super supportive through the whole thing. Like, hey, it's happening. We're going to figure it out. Don't worry. I mean, we're sitting here watching everything get shut down just like oh man i mean i'm also thinking oh man am i gonna be able to launch this brand kind of like i mean like i've already kind of been doing some stuff but i mean and mm-hmm. it wasn't i just was hoping for that extra wind in the sail like to just be like yeah okay like this is a cool big moment now like let's go um and so things that ended up getting pushed to september it was supposed to happen in i think um june or something or may june and then it ended up getting pushed to september of 2020 but it happened and in japan it was really strict about everything right so you got to go there we didn't go no we didn't go but the event event happened happened. and and it was like super successful and um it was just amazing to see that come to life and for me to see like whoa this like section of like a brand that really just didn't even exist right like it was just like this big Mm -hmm. figment of my imagination basically and like i had like an instagram handle and i had some product that i'd like kind of slaying and i was like making stuff in my garage and um but to see it come to life like that was just like really uh inspiring and like gave me hope to and you know the win that i needed to kind of go okay like let's go i'm gonna do this um so yeah that was kind of I mean, and that that's the thing, because I, I remember seeing people wearing the hat, wearing the hat you're wearing, the Western Hydrodynamic Research hat. And I thought, and please take no offense, I was like, oh, it's a it's a weed company. Like, I thought it was like, I would read it as like hydroponic. And I was like, oh, sweet. It's like, it's a weed company. I was like, man, I was like, I love the font. I love that, like, it says everything, but it also says nothing at the same time. Like, it doesn't stick out and the, in a good way. And um, then... I like read it again and I saw a couple other friends with these hats and I'm like, why is it? How did everyone get these hats? Like, what is this brand? And you, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but like in hindsight, it's, it's gotta be like everything you did was the right way to launch it because it was there, but you couldn't really find it. You didn't really know what it was. Even the information as I was kind of looking it up, I didn't know what it was because it was like somewhat cryptic. I was like, is this a, a surf brand? I was like, is this, and I eventually realized, you know, and made made more connections down there. But like in a good way, I had to work. I had to work to figure out what the hell you were doing. Like, it was, 
Well, that, that's good. That's good. I mean, it's funny. <laughs> that, I mean, I guess that's part of it. I mean, originally it was WHR. That was it. And I had this like logo that was like, it was almost a brand. It was kind of like a double RL like thing mm-hmm. that I made. And I was making these really weird surfboards. And, and then Craig Stesic, um, who's a good friend of mine, I was with Craig. And so Craig's, a, you know, legendary artist and, you know, author and all sorts of amazing stuff. So Craig, Craig's like, so Pat, like, what does it mean? What does West WHR mean? And I'm like, there's really no meaning. I don't know. It's just like a placeholder thing. I just didn't want it to be, I was, it was kind of nothing. And he just goes, Western hydrodynamic research. And I'm like, wow, that's it. That's insane. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's sick. So good. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and it was perfect because it was like, I mean, Craig's like one of the most cryptic people ever. And the name just sort of like felt right and fell into place and i just kind of like locked up the font the way i locked it up just because for me too i just was there's a lot of like kitschy brand names and a lot of like designy stuff and i just didn't really resonate with me i just wanted to be very like ambiguous and weird like and um so yeah i kind of kind of worked out yeah like and i mean you don't make a ton of product right like because what's all the it's i mean at least the stuff that you can get it's hats and like some bags and totes, but you're you're doing like clothes now, correct? Yeah, we did like tees and fleece. I mean, we did a couple. Yeah, we did like some like sweat bottom sweat, sweat shorts, sweat whatever. And what else did we do? We did then we did like some little like kind of sh- shorts for summer. But we kind of like right now I'm looking at it where spring, summer, fall, holiday, we will do mm-hmm. more stuff. Like we'll kind of have like a little line, um, mm-hmm. and and then outside of those two seasons that we kind of do a drop with we kind of just do things every month and some a lot of the stuff we'll do is like upcycled product like we just did the camo launch where we had like um take take only pictures leave only footprints like that was super fun and we we did like so much of tie-dye stuff and my mother-in-law is like an incredible like she's like one of the craftiest uh, most amazing uh, people she does all these the hand chain stitch embroidery on the product so oh, wow so we started doing that which was fun because for me i mean honestly like when i make stuff and it if it doesn't sell or like i make a t-shirt and it doesn't it's like it's like hurts me i'm like oh, like that sucks like i just i mean like just the impact of you know i just didn't want to be a company because i've seen it i've seen warehouses full of shit that's not going to sell and just go wherever it goes i'm not sure but i just don't want to do that and like so being uh-huh. able to work with like upcycled um products is rad because it's just really there's no there's no loss you know there's no there's no environmental impact you kind of do something if, if i mean everything's worked luckily you know but if i somehow do something i mean i'm sure i will do something that doesn't work i'm like whatever no sweat like we didn't make we didn't create more waste we just took something that was already going to be discarded and we made it new and and i'll give it to somebody but um yeah that's i, I think that's kind of that's my favorite that's my favorite part i guess of what i'm doing is, is are those projects yeah i mean you had mentioned seeing brands that you know, you know or or stuff in a warehouse that just sits there i mean it's that is a something that is not discussed and shouldn't be discussed way more because you know so much that i even have a few friends whom are like hey i have this investment opportunity i can buy this brand and like relaunch it and there's 20,000 shirts in a warehouse ready to go for the and like that that's like a pretty common thing now is like people that are trying to resurrect brands or relaunch brands of things that were going to pop or that someone thought were going to pop 15 years ago. And the clothes are just have been sitting in boxes. Like it's, it's a kind of a not great problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's crazy though. Working. I mean, I was on the marketing side always, so I'd never really, I mean, like I've worked with product, but it wasn't 
too involved. I mean, it's crazy now because we have a distributor in Japan, which is awesome. Like uh-huh. our, our distribution partner there is great. And it, Yohei, who's like a, a good friend now. And, um, you know, we don't do crazy numbers, but like, even when we do, let's say to pack up like $50,000 worth of merchandise, you know, like you're, it's, mm-hmm. it's so much like it is not, it's crazy. Like the, you know, I'm, I'm in my, this room that's like, whatever it's like, I don't know. My, this little room's like 300 square feet, but it would be every inch of this floor would have a box like that was like packed to the brim. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's like, that's only 50 K worth of like wholesale kind of merchandise. And you just think about that on scale. And when people talk about hundreds of million dollar brands or billion dollar brands, like that's insane. How much product, I mean, I mean, the amount of space you have to warehouse that stuff, the, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, but at the same time, you know, there's an understanding that like, Hey, people do need clothes and there's, there's a certain amount of need, but there's also the other side where, or, or is there, I mean, there's already like so much of it out there and. I think there's a balance and I think price is really important too. I think like, you know, having a, a more premium price point, that's, that's like, I mean, not that I'm super premium, but I think like cheap, like under $30 tees or to me, I'm like, I don't know, man. That's like, I mean, obviously people who don't have as much money, you know, want to have access to buy new clothing. But I think in general, you know, that there's a impact that comes with making stuff that maybe isn't just seen in the cost. And, and I think if everybody was like, voting with their dollars to buy something that was a little bit more expensive and then they'd cherish it and hold on to it for longer than we might be in a little bit, little bit better place for, for the amount of waste we're creating. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like you've definitely wrestled with this a lot. Like I think first off, I think people that run a brand, whatever brand, whether it's a fucking podcast like me or a clothing brand or whatever, there is um, any, any relationship that's formed with a brand. People want way more out of that relationship than they used to. Right. Like mm-hmm. you, you've been and worked for tons of these brands. And in most cases, people looked at their relationship with the brand as I give you money, you give me thing, you know, and now um, good or bad, I don't care how you want to look at it. People are like, yeah, but when I wear this, what does that say about me? And previously there was always something that was there. It was just people never really pondered it the way that they do now. You know, like you wanted to wear Hurley because you wanted to, you know, look like a surfer or a rock star, or you were into Blink-182. I mean, who, you know, who knows? But like now it's like, well, I want to wear this, but I want you to know how I think about the environment, how I think about the world, how I think about politically, how I care about this, how I care about this. And in a way, I'm not, I don't want to get canceled for saying this, but like in a way it puts, it takes the work off of the individual to do on their own and forces it on the brand that they patronize. Mm. And in some senses, it's like, you can just buy a shirt and wear the shirt and like the shirt and then behave in a way that causes you to do the work. Like if you care a ton about um, the unhoused and, you know, like then get off your ass and do something about it. Like you don't need to be like, oh, I wear this shirt and they and they give money to people that are, you know, displaced of housing. And so I did it. And it's like, no, you didn't. You fucking bought a shirt, man. Like, like I get it. I get it. But like, how, how does this, how does this work? And I feel it creates maybe good and bad, like a lot of stress on people that run brands because now they're trying to ponder how, how deep of a relationship that they need to create with their consumer. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's very, very fascinating to me. I mean, I'm just curious how you think about that. Yeah. I mean, I think even with, for me, I mean, I talk about like a, our brand or this project, or it's really just me. I'm like, a, I mean, my wife helps me do shipping and all that stuff and, and customer service and, and it's like supports me and me just being crazy. But like, I think just part of the thing that I'm working on, it's like, it's like an expression of those feelings. I mean, I'm just like the confusion and the, trying to 
trying to work it all out. And because I don't want to be green, greenwashing and saying that I'm not causing any, um, any, um, you know, unnecessary harm to the environment. Hey, we all are. We all, that's kind of like the unfortunate part of the- Existing does quite a bit. Yeah. The paradigm, right? I mean, the funny thing is, I mean, like I remember I was reading and I mean, like we have two kids. We're so lucky to have two healthy, healthy kids. And, and, you know, we're, we're, you know, we, but we selfishly like almost want another one. And I'm like, oh man, like, okay. But I read something somewhere and this isn't, this isn't my excuse for not having another kid, but you know, it was like, you know, uh, the best thing you can do for the environment is to not have another kid in a way, because the impact of, of a consumer, the, it's really the impact of one person as a consumer, as just a, I mean, because you're going to need stuff. I mean, whether it's, you know, food, diapers, whatever, diapers, it's, it's yeah. like your, your shirt, TV, you know, go to Costco, get another, whatever it's all impact. Right. I mean, and it's, it's, um, so it's, and it's a hard thing. I mean, I'm, luckily there's a lot of smart people and I'm not one of them, but that are out there trying to figure out how we sort of turn back the, the, the dial on the impact and clean up a lot of the sh- stuff we've done. Um, and I think for me, like the project I'm doing, doing it's like, I'm not greenwashing or I'm not trying to say that I'm holier than thou, or I'm out doing beach cleanups all day, every day, but we, you know, we just try to communicate in a way that's trans- transparent, but also like celebrating the people, the people that are doing great things. And, and like, I mean, I had someone, someone wrote me recently just saying, Oh man, like I see you guys think it's so cool to be this like mock science company environmental company <laughs> and i'm like, the, like what, what how about your organization gets involved and actually goes and does something and i'm like hey dude this, <sighs> first of all the organization is one person and <laughs> and I've, I mean, I've donated like countless hours to good good causes i mean and not to toot my own horn and i think a lot of us have sure. but like i think that in terms of how we're communicating and what we're trying to celebrate is is more of a positive spin and trying to sort of show show and, and reference a lot of that stuff that people are doing to, to, to make those changes or just to make you fall in love with the environment and, and nature and um, yeah, I want to get more involved. So I mean, here's the thing. You got hit with a reply guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's what it was. I mean, it, the, the, they're, they're like, they're people that do that. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. If, if someone emailed you and said, hey, uh, I love your brand and blah, 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 blah. I am a scientist and we could do some fun things together. Let's do a partnership, da, da, da. That makes sense. But when it's a reply guy or they, girl, whomever, um, that, that slides into the DMs, it's like, what's what's wrong? Like, what, what's going on? Like, I, people, people, people love to just reply, you yeah. know? And so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened. But at the same time, it goes to show you that, like, what you're doing has reach. I, I think... People that make brands or or run them, you know, like there there is um, a thing that like people that that are running those brands like can't really brag about because it sounds really vain. But what a lot of brands do is they is they help people feel special, like they help people feel like they're attached to something. You know, the same way you know me wearing to to jump on the Hurley reference, me wearing Hurley when I was in you know high school because I wanted people to think of me as a cool person, and me wearing that shirt, even though it was just another piece of cotton, like it that that did something for me. Mm-hmm. But like if if you went up, if you you know wrote on your website where it's like buy my hats because they're really cool and you're gonna feel cool too, um, people would be like f this guy. But like that is that's why I bought a hat. I was like, oh, that's cool. This hat's cool. Um, I don't. Surf. I know nothing of surfing. I can barely swim. Uh, I don't even like the ocean, but I think the hat is cool. And it's neat that you have like, uh, I don't know, like a nylon cord <laughs> to close it like that. That That's enough for me. Yeah. And that's that is that is the beginning and the 
end of my relationship with it. It's like, I just, you know, I think people can just also admit that they want to buy something because they think it's cool versus like, I also do beach cleanup. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't. You live in St. Louis. <laughs> and I, I think that's a good point. I mean, that's kind of part of how, when I look at what I'm doing, I'm, I, tr- I try to take a couple steps back. I mean, obviously I've been super sure. ingrained in like this culture, but I think the problem sometimes when people are too in it that they try they communicate a certain way that is isn't attainable or like it's maybe it it, yeah it's not attainable and it's not like it's not actually for the value of the product or like what it looks like or how or how it makes people feel and i look at like a fashion fashion companies or things that like they appropriate all sorts of different cultural subcultures and things that but but they do a great job at it 90s skate culture sorry what would you say? Think, yeah, no, exactly. And, and I think at one level, I'm like, oh man, they do it better than the skate companies. But like, and I think there's actually something cool uh, stylistically about stepping back and actually trying to like just pull the nuggets out of the culture and the things that are great references and, and package it up in a certain way that people are like, oh, here's what it looks like on on someone wearing it and, you know, put it in, into some um, different contexts that, that make people think, think differently about, yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think... You know, and I I think also to to jump back a bit, like, I think it is good for anyone that is in a position of of power or prestige to look at how they can to help and benefit others versus, you know, uh, fuel hedonism and materialism. Like, I think it's cool that you feel convicted and you have some of these like questions and things that you want to do and do better. But, um, you know, it's also I'm sure a part of this is like, thank God I can now you know, find a way to like, you know, take care of my fam and make cool clothes off of culture that you helped create and were a large part of for, I don't know, 30 years at least now. Right. Like, I mean, there's, so I think that's, that's also great. You know, I mean, there's, I've, try to think of brands that are, I don't know, like what people would call as like a Cali surf brand or something. I, and I don't even know if that's a pejorative term, but like people that would refer to that, like, what is the brand that's doing that now? That's like a newer brand. I don't think there's really any other that I can think of other than you guys. I mean, Birdwell kind of relaunched and they've done some awesome stuff. I mean, love Birdwell, but at the same time, um, Birdwell is also a brand that has just been around for a long time. Like this like, you know, WHR is a new, new air quoting brand. Like it's, you know, and I think that there's a lot of legs and a lot of excitement with it, especially considering the fact that at least for me, the thing that I do want when I'm, you know, buying a brand is like to kind of connect with the person who's behind it. And, and like, it's great that it's just you. I'm sure it's a pain in the ass when you're packing stuff. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Oh my God. It's yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, but I, I appreciate that. I really do. And I think like, in the same way i just want thing i want it to be inclusive right like that's my main goal is is to have it be inclusive and had have someone that's in the midwest and, and that is wearing it and feels like yeah i'm a part of this this is it's it's, yeah. it's celebrated and connects everybody and it's not exclusive or core i'm not like i don't it, whatever authenticity is one thing and i mean i'm I think it's super important and being authentic to who you are and how you communicate and where you, where you're coming from. But at the same time, as like when you make something and it's for people, I think it should be inclusive. And, and as a brand, like your communication should feel like, you know, I don't want someone to be like wearing a hat and then someone go, you're a poser, bro. Like, that's so hard. It's like, no way, man. I got two kids. Don't call me a poser. (laughs) I'll I'll try to be called. Someone will see me and be like, you're a poser. I'm like, dude, I know, man. Like, I swear. It's just like, (laughs) 
this is my brand. I wore it first. I wore it first, man. I know I'm a 40 year old dad, but like, come on, take it easy on me. Yeah. Did you ever see that that Bengals clip where the guy was like, I'm 40. I'm a man. I'm 40. And he just like says it over and over again. And they're like, this is a press conference for the team, sir. That's classic. That's classic. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you see yourself getting into you know I mean because you 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 saw what life was like at Volcom at Hurley at all these other brands and how in a lot of ways their their growth also became their demise like is the goal to stay somewhat small Yeah I mean I think for me the goal is just lifestyle I mean as long as I can have my lifestyle that I like to live and to just like you know um I, I don't want to have some mega brand i I mean and i honestly just don't think i number one i don't think i can do that like i think i have a certain amount of potential where i can take it or what i can do and i don't and i you know i I, it's something i want to do for the next 20 years it's not something i want to do for the next five or 10 years and then sell or i I don't know like and i at some degree i don't know i i I wish i was more confident in saying like oh we could be the next like big thing but I don't even know if it's one, if I could even do that. And number two, I don't even think I would want to, I guess. And, and, but yeah, for sure. Like I said, I mean, I just, it freaks me out when I see those like warehouses full of product. I don't think that's where I want to go. I mean, in my ideal world, I guess in my ideal world, we could at some point be more experience based or like have a business model that's more like hybrid where it's where we don't have to actually be doing this weird thing where like we make a bunch of product, we bring it in, then we sell it. Or I don't know. I, I think. There's yeah, their product could be a component of it, but I think it would be great to tr- have a, a like even lower impact thing that could could help um, could, could, that we could run. I don't know, I, I, but I definitely don't want to have like some hundred millions of dollar company that I gotta. I don't have any more hair to lose, man. I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. Uh, yeah, it's I have hair falling off my face now too. <laughs> Seriously, I, I mean the stress of kids and everything. I was like, I, I used to have a mustache and my wife was like, you got like a bald spot on your face. And I was like, holy shit. It's like, I got hair falling off my face now. It's, <laughs> you know, I'm falling apart over here. Oh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I mean, it's like, it's off the head. It's on the back. It's, uh, it's like, we're in, it's, it's turning gray here. It's, yeah. Yeah. What, what is, what is your buddy Tom been telling you about all this stuff? Cause I feel like he's cracked the code in a lot of ways to make things that are huge, that are, you know, I mean, even with, I don't know, like the, the general purpose shoe or whatever he's doing or, you know, I mean, there's, there's, he's, he's done a pretty damn good job with all of his brand stuff. I mean, it sounds like he's a good advisor to you. What has he been saying? I mean, yeah, he, he's so supportive. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I just ask him as I go along, try to get advice. And I mean, I think he's, I mean, that's where I've learned. I think a lot of like this, what I'm doing now is from him and, and just seeing, yeah, like not making a ton of stuff, having a, smaller amount of supply like you know your goal you know goal is to sell have sell through and just scale slowly as you're just take those baby steps and just keep moving forward and um and create be creative and and i think have fun with that process but also be like your biggest critic and i mean use your like jedi council to see your work (laughs) too and and get that critical feedback and be like hey does this baby need to be born into the world or is this something that maybe should just be thrown away you know i think that's kind of like that critical feedback and and just sort of like 
yeah, taking those steps. And I mean, I've learned, I mean, I've made some stuff that I'm not proud of and I've done some things already that I'm like, oh man, I should have done that different. But I think patience is so important. And, um, and then sampling stuff, like, you know, just like get the sample, see it, be like, okay, I love this. This is great. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's make it not, well, yeah, let, let's go. We got to get it done. We have to get it done in a month. Like, let's just make it and then we'll get it and then it'll be good. But I think those are the biggest lessons that I've learned is just sort of like, having that patience and, and, and don't be in a hurry for anybody. It's, it's all on your own. If it's all on your own pace and you can, you can make good decisions, it's all going to work out. Yeah. I mean, the sampling thing, that's, geez, that's key. There's, there's a friend of mine who works for a really, really, really large clothing company and they um, were trying to make, you know, uh, a, a new product and they did one sample and then they made revisions and generally for what they were doing, they would do like three to four samples. And so they did one sample, they do the revision. They're like, all right, we want this, this, and this. And because of COVID and because of other things, they were concerned about supply chain and delivery time. And like, I get it. Like, but they're like, all right, well, we're good. It's, it's ready for production. And somehow um, there was some sort of issue. And so they got, you know, thousands of these garments totally wrong, totally wrong. And I was like, what are you going to do? And he was like, well, the best bet is to just like destroy them. And I was like, wait, what? And this is a huge company with a person's name as the name of the company, oh right? And they're like, they're like, yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna destroy it. And so the, their solution was to, to go send it back or, or, and then just burn it all. Oh. And I was like, can you, can you at least, can you at least like sell like the scrap and they're like no it has our it has our name on it i was like can you rip out the thing can you donate like because it, it wasn't even that like i mean the fabric that they used was amazing but it was just that the the fit and some details were incorrect that would have thrown off the style yeah and, to, and he to was their, like oh yeah he, yeah to those yeah. specifications i mean that's the thing i think the coolest thing i saw recently was sky high farms balenciaga and i think I, the oh, way yeah. i mean i think the way of the future is for even for me, I mean, like, I'm so small. I'm like, dude, I was, I mean, and I'm actually doing a project we're launching next week with Raining Champ. And they had a bunch of like blemished, like messed up fleece that they're like, hey, like, we're not going to sell it. Would you want to, because they saw what I was doing with Upside. Like, hey, would you want to take it and like do your thing to it? And then we can like do a thing together. I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, this is like exactly what I want because the product's amazing. It just has some holes and some things. And so I, my mother-in-law darned like 120 fleece pieces she did darning to which is just beautiful what a saint yeah oh my god <laughs> and so i mean i look at that like i mean if the big companies looked at their mistakes and the stuff that they have maybe it's excess inventory or the blemishes and all those things and say okay where are the who are the small brands that we can work with and say hey here's a crazy piece that didn't work out for us it, it's really good and for you yeah. you can yeah. take it and remix it and have it be a collaboration because you know, there's yep. two great brands coming together. I think that's like the collaboration of the future is working with small brands and say, so, hey, I don't, so maybe let's just say it's a bunch of killer tea blanks that just were a little off or even, they could have a stain on it. I don't care. And and if I could get those and then use that, it's a me printing what my new idea that I think is amazing, like the, like that would be huge because it would just kind of um, alleviate some of that pressure that is, is taken um in, in a few different directions, I think it would be yeah a huge win. Well, and also a lot of those brands, I mean, I'll say this, like not, not maybe not the reigning champ situation, obviously, but like the Balenciaga thing, Balenciaga is probably like the number one and the biggest brand in the world. And because of that, they're screwed in the sense that like, oh no, like eventually people are going to be like, yeah, you're too big. Like, I don't like you. Yeah. Like, 
you know, like I'm, I don't want to mess with you. And so you have to go and collaborate with the next new wave, the next new underground, whatever, you know, that is to remind people that you're still good. I mean, you, you look at, there's countless examples of this when LV was like on its, you know, not doing that great. And they brought Mark Jacobs in and Mark Jacobs started doing this thing. Everyone was into LV again. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's, um, it's not, a, uh, it's not a new thing that's happened. And I feel like a lot of these brands need to do that and everyone can win. It's like, it keeps that brand alive and those brands that have hundreds of years of history and prestige, et cetera, or, you know, 50, 80 years, and they get to, you know, lift up and elevate like new designers. And also, I mean, I don't care how old a fabric is, but like the amount of money and development that these companies spend making killer product, you know, like find a way to use it all. Like, Eileen Fisher actually does a pretty crazy job of it, but she doesn't get a ton of attention because she's not, you know, I don't think she's ever really been considered like a high fashion brand or anything, but like so much of their business for like decades now has been about, um, you know, air quoting sustainability here and like reusing stuff and like having people sell their clothes back to them and using that stuff like that. I think that's genius and it's definitely the future for sure. That's cool. Yeah. So this is a roll call to Levi's, Double RL, um, (laughs) Louis. You're exactly right. Let's let's do this. (laughs) Slide slide into the DMs, man. Let's go. Let's let's see the WHR, you know, Double RL smash together logo. Like I'm I'm down for that. Ralph, come on. I love that. I love that. Um, so, well, I'm, I know you got you you got a bunch of stuff happening right now, so I want to be conscious of your time. Um, this is a series of random questions here. Mm. So, if you were making a YouTube how-to video, what would the subject be? Um, oh, I, I, it would just be about hacking the um, urban environment. I mean, there's so many funny hacks with, I mean, surfing, when you surf, especially like growing up surfing, there's a lot of little hacks that we learn. And I mean... One of the biggest things that I used to do, we used to have these Carl's Jr. cups because there's a Carl's Jr. down at like 32nd Street where we would surf. So you have a Carl's Jr. cup, but you got free, it was free refills, right? So we would just, <laughs> we would just hammer the free refills for weeks and weeks on it until your cup was like just corroded and barely held together. Oh, so, all that wax you're drinking. Yeah. So, so like, I think it would be about those hacks because I love like those like I mean, but I think it's it's really cool because it's like you're just living off the fat of the land that like what society's put on your doorstep here. You know, there's no strength efficient, so you got to go. You know, yeah, go, fair. Go Carl's. I mean, we used to and we used to like we used to bum change. I mean, that's a hard thing now though because like bumming change is probably impossible. But we, we were kids too. We used to go and bum change and like, hey, I got to get a ride home. Could you give me a quarter? Like, wait for the people to come out of the store. Yeah, and then we'd, bus. We'd use that money. We'd go buy. Ch- I, I would buy chicken littles because I just love chicken littles from KFC. So, like. <laughs> And then there's like, we were driving last night. And my wife found this quarter and in, in this, like we had quarters because we were coming home on the ferry and a quarter with a hole mm-hmm. in it. And then I'm like, oh yeah, the quarter with the hole. Like we used to put the string on the quarter with the hole and then you can either unlock the, um, the meters or you use the quarter on the string to get food out of the vending machine. So like, I don't know. I love all those things. That's like, that would be, that's a how, my how to series. I mean, there's gotta be a lot of them. Just, yeah. Scam. <laughs> I'm, so like, I got a little bit of a scammer in me, you know, so. Yeah, I was going to say, here comes the TikTok. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's incredible. Um, What's the last movie you saw? Last movie? Um, or, you know, last thing you watched? Oh, I mean, I tried to start watching this Lord of the Rings prequel. Hell yeah, it's, okay. Like, it was good. I mean, it's good. I, I started falling asleep. The other thing I was like, I watched- You started falling asleep. It's good, no, okay. It's good. I mean, but I, you know, I'm tired. <laughs> like, I go to bed at nine o'clock, so I'm like out. But it was good. And then I watched um, uh, Game of Thrones, the, that 
prequel, the dragon thing. But I thought okay, it was kind of, House, of House of Dragon. It was a little weak though in my book. I don't know. They're they're too precious with the characters. They're not like in the beginning. Lord Game of Game of Thrones in the beginning. They would just like kill somebody off. Like you're invested in them, and there's boom. And they haven't really done that. Yep. So I'm like, ah, it's kind of weak. I mean, I, I watch too much TV. It's embarrassing. I shouldn't even be talking about that. But yeah. Have you watched Andor? No. What's that? Watch Andor. Andor. Andor is, um, I don't know if you saw Rogue One, but a lot of people loved that Star Wars movie. And it was like basically like how they got the plans for the Death Star. It's supposed to be like the prequel to New Hope. Andor is the prequel to that, but it's it's Diego Luna. Um, who does, uh, I think it's Diego Luna. Um, I might have to double check here. Yeah. Okay. It's Diego Luna. And, um, he's, it's like him. It basically the, you know, the, the premise is it is a star Wars show that is very much for adults. Like yeah. it's a spy thriller and it is, I think it's also the first star Wars IP that ever used the word shit in it. Like there's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's like serious stuff that happens and it's, Tony Gilroy uh, wrote it. He also did like Michael Clayton, which a lot of people like love as like a super underrated movie. I mean, it's it's great. Like there's it's not like lightsabers and Mandalorian and like Baby Yoda and like characters that become toys. This is like people that work that are like going to bars and freaking out <laughs> over credits. It's like it's very much like. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 really really good um right. i'm, I'm yeah. traveling so I'll, I'll put that in there for sure um okay and then what's a what's a movie or a book or album that when someone mentions you feel they understand you i mean you know i mean let me think there's a book the power of one that oh that here's um my mom read it to me and it's it's uh yeah, it's just an incredible book. It takes place in South Africa. Rice Courtney, Courtney wrote it. I mean, it's, um, but yeah, it's just a story of a young boy who kind of like has this coming of age tale. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. It's a really, really good book. And uh, yeah. Oh, it's kind of like a Tuesdays with Maury sort of thing. Are you thing checking it out? Like, yeah. 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 I, I just, I just pulled it up um, on, on, uh, on Amazon. Yeah, it's it's uh, although I shouldn't say Amazon. I pulled it up on Goodreads, <laughs> which is an Amazon owned property. Son of a bitch. Barnes and Noble. Uh, Barnes and Noble. Still- yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I mean, I don't know. It was like my mom read it to me and like I I read it again later on. It's like it's a, yeah, it's a great book. Damn. Okay. Um dude, thank you for thank you so much for your time. Uh I I know you got so much stuff going on. I I really really appreciate you chatting with me. It, it was it was great meeting you and I uh, hope to talk to you, you again soon. Jeremy, cool man. Thank you. All right, I'll see you later. Legend of a dude, right? So cool. You've been listening to Blamo. We're edited by Amar Lal and our music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Last but not least, we're produced by Blamo Media. If you like this show, tell a friend. Give us some good vibes. You can follow us on social media at Blamo Podcast or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Uh, plenty of other shows to dig into. If you want more Blamo, you can check us out at patreon.com forward slash Blamo, where we have our exclusive Slack group. We got the Triple J show, Blamo presents Derek Guy, and tons of other goodies in there. So check it out. Uh, other than that, I'll see you soon. Season's wrapping up, but plenty more where that came from. Later.